That's the root of happiness, because Satan has told us that over and over again. But the ironic thing in that is if you look at people who have all that stuff, if you look at the rich and the famous who are in control of their whole life, in control of their own destiny, can buy the fanciest, nicest, richest cars, are they characteristically joyful, happy people? Probably. That's why they get divorced 15 times. That's why they're in drug rehab and alcohol centers and uh, getting arrested for DUI. That's why they kill themselves more than any other segment of the population. Uh, there's not happiness in that stuff. And yet how many of us have bought that lie of Satan? And we really think that to follow God is to forfeit joy and happiness. Right? And we're really convinced that if I really follow, give all out to God, sell out completely to God, do this whole abiding thing, follow Him wholeheartedly, and leave behind sin and all the stuff we want and materialism and control of my own life, that we are walking away from joy. Right? But Jesus says that's not true. In fact, it's quite opposite. He says, I told you all this stuff and what this is all about, the focus of, of all that I'm doing is to fill your life with joy. To fill you with my joy. And not just a little bit, but he says, fill you until you are overflowing. Overflowing with joy. Well, he doesn't really talk in this passage where this joy comes from, but let me just give you three quick suggestions of where I think his joy comes from. Uh, one source, as you look through the Old Testament, the word joy is used a lot. Joyful, rejoicing, being filled with joy. And most often it's in connection with God's saving works. And I don't mean necessarily salvation like saving from sin, but more like, you know, I just fell off a cliff and I caught a tree and I'm dangling a thousand feet in the air and I need salvation, right? And, uh, or as David would say, all my enemies are out to get me. I'm surrounded. Uh, the big bad guys are coming. I'm facing certain death and I need salvation. Uh, it's kind of like in the movies, you know, the, the movies, good action movies. There comes a point in the story when it just looks hopeless, right? Everybody's at the end. The enemies, they're surrounded. They're out of bullets, you know. They're out of grenades. And then at the last second, what happens? From some unsuspected corner, salvation comes. The hero swoops in and saves them. And what does everybody do? Well, that was nice. No! They get all excited. There's joy. And we, as we watch the movie, we participate that. We get joyful because... There was salvation. Uh, I believe that one of the ways that God wants us to experience His salvation in our life is through the grand salvation that He's given us, certainly, uh, but even in day-to-day work that God does to save us. When we are desperate, we're... we're and, and I think God, God... God is not a sadist. He's not a masochist. He doesn't want to torture us. But oftentimes God lets us get into very difficult situations... Because he wants us to know the joy of his salvation. He wants us to get to places where we can't rescue ourselves. Where only he can do it. Because there really is great joy in that. In his deliverance. And how much more so in in the great work of salvation that he does. It ought to work in our lives like this. We ought to come to a place where we are powerfully aware of the awfulness of our own sin. And its terrible consequences. Uh, We should never take lightly what we have been saved from. Uh, We should come to a place of deep knowledge that our sin 
has left us dangling over a pit of eternal doom and destruction. I'm not a very good hellfire and brimstone preacher. Sometimes I wish I was. Because we have kind of lost that sense of our doom because of sin. How really lost we are because of sin. Uh, How really we have messed things up with God. But God in His goodness and grace has not let us stay there. He has come and He has rescued us. And He has saved us. And there ought to be in that a tremendous sense of relief at experiencing God's grace. Uh, if there's not joy in that, you know, like my college professor said, you know, you're, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Okay, you need, that ought to bring great joy. And if it doesn't bring great joy, it's because we really don't know how lost, how doomed we were. So there's the joy of salvation. Uh, there's also the joy of being loved. Um, there ought to be for us as believers, and, and the reason it's so exp- important that we abide in His love and we experience His love, is that's a great source of joy. Now, I'm not... Uh, well, let me put it this way. I'm becoming more and more of a romantic. And I'm beginning to believe that every good romance, no matter how secular it is, borrows its storyline from God. Because God is a God of love. All love and goodness comes from Him. And there is no romance apart from Him. Okay, Harlequin did not invent romance. They may have made a billion dollars off of it, but they didn't invent it. It is originally the work and plan and design of God. God is the great romantic who loves to sweep in and romance His bride, to love and draw and woo us to Himself. Every great romance story is really a story about God's heart for us. Uh, you know how it works in a good romance story? Uh, I won't make you raise your hands. How many of you read romance? I won't, I won't do that. But you know, in a good romance, it works like this. This couple, you know, they kind of bring them together and they meet, and they, you, you, get, you want them to fall in love, right? You like both of them, and you just believe they should be together, and you want them to fall in love. But uh, it doesn't always go so smoothly. And they kind of are awkward. They bump into each other. And at some point, it seems like it's going to happen, but right at that moment when they like to take their first kiss, one of them does something really stupid. Sometimes both of them do something really stupid, and it just wrecks the whole thing, right? And they're mad at each other, they're angry with each other, and there's a threat that they're going to go away and never speak to each other again. They're going to hate each other. But then, at the end of the story, one of them does a noble and heroic thing. Oftentimes the one who's been the most wronged. And because of love, they reach out to that other person. And with the love that overcomes that hurt and that wrong, they reach out and embrace them. And they draw them and they win them. What a great picture of God's heart. When you get to that point in the book, what happens? I cry every time. Right? I just just feel so moved. Why? Why? Well, it's joy. That is joy. And God longs for that for us. He longs for us to understand that that is our relationship with Him. That He loves us dearly. And though we have messed it up, and we have walked away, and we have stubbornly refused His love, that He pursues us. And He draws us to Himself. And He wants us to experience His his love. And His closeness and His presence. So there's the joy of love, and that's why it's important to abide in His love. He says, 
And I want you to abide in my love so that your joy will be full. Uh, thirdly, though, there is the joy of work. Yeah, this is kind of an odd one. You're in the joy of work. I don't get this one. Uh, Jesus just got done talking about abiding in his love, abiding in his Father's love, and he said that part of that process of abiding in God's love is obedience. And for a lot of us, that's where we kind of lose the whole thing. It just goes downhill from there. We were with it to the whole romance, the whole first kiss thing. I was there, and then, poof, work. Okay, Cinderella, get to work now. You know, you, the shoe fits, now go wash the dishes, right? Well, where's the love in that? Where's the joy in that, right? Well, um, Jesus says specifically that he wants us to be filled with his joy. A joy that he first possessed and understand and experience. What was Jesus' joy? Well, certainly, he had joy in the Father loving him. Uh, he did not have a joy or a sense of joy in the Father rescuing him, but he certainly had a joy uh, of this communion and fellowship with the Father. But I believe his, his joy and the joy he talks about goes beyond that. And he specifically says, you need to obey me, and that's how you walk in my love, the same way as I obey my Father and abide in His love. You see, for Jesus, loving His Father was obedience. See, our problem, I think, is that we misunderstand what obedience is. We think obedience is, is compliance to a long set of, of rules that are kind of meaningless and don't, don't have purpose. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's really talking about partnering with His Father and His Father's work and activity in the world. God is at work in this world, loving and saving people. And Jesus was obedient in working with the Father and carrying out that work, that business of the Father. Now here's a question I want you to think about very carefully. Does God enjoy His work? Does God enjoy His work? When He created the universe, when He created the world, when He created everything, when He created you and I, did He enjoy that? Well, he must have. He said after he created everything, he said it was good. It was good. It was good. When he created you and I, he said it was very good. He enjoys his activity in creation. Does he enjoy his activity of redeeming? Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, he constantly was redeeming and rescuing and saving Israel. Taking them out of Egypt. Taking them to the promised land doing this work of redeeming and saving and rescuing them? Does he enjoy that work? Well, to answer that question, maybe an easier way to think of this is to think of it this way. Uh, Some of you uh, may have the option of retiring. Okay, Retiring is what what happens when you get really old, or hopefully not so old, so you can actually enjoy it. And you, you get old, and you can quit working for a living, and you get to have lots of money, I'm not sure where it comes from, but you get lots of money, and you can do whatever you want, right? That's retirement. I'm thinking I'm never going to do that, because the whole money thing is kind of on the short end for me. I think I'm going to have to work till I die, which is okay, because there's joy in that. <laughs> okay? But if you're one of those lucky people that gets to look forward to retirement, uh, you get to do whatever you want. Now, it may be work, and I know a lot of people who are actually serving on the mission field in retirement, because that's what they choose. It's something they long to do. You can do whatever you want. You can play golf every day. You can, you can do anything. You just do anything, right? 
Now think about this. Before God created the universe and the world, he existed for all eternity past. He had a long, long time to plan out what he was going to do. He had a long time to think about what he was going to work at. Do you think he picked something he didn't like? Do you think he was going, you know, I've got all eternity to work out this plan. What would be really just miserable? I don't think so. I think he's smarter than that. I think God picked a work. He picked a, a mission. He picked a purpose for his eternal existence that would bring him great joy and delight. God loves to love himself. He loves to be happy. I think sometimes we picture God as kind of like Spock on you know, Star Trek. This very cold, non-emotional, just blank face, never happy, never sad kind of being that is emotionless. That's not God. God is a God with charged emotion. And God chooses to be happy and joyful. He joys in everything he does. He enjoys his work immensely. He delights in it immensely. He picked it because he can't think of anything better to do that would bring him joy and satisfaction than this work of creating you and I and saving us. As Jesus went to the cross, he was about to do the pinnacle of God's joy in redeeming and saving us. It's hard for us to imagine this, that God could do this and enjoy it, because we can't imagine that we would. But for God, this was the climax of his creating work, saving you and I, going to the cross, giving himself fully to redeem us, was the climax. He had all eternity to think and plan this out, and it focused on the cross. Did he enjoy his work? Incredibly, he enjoyed it. Jesus loved and enjoyed what he did. That doesn't mean that he enjoyed everything about it. No. But it was his joy to work with the Father in redeeming mankind. You see, there is great joy in working alongside and with God. In fact, I believe it is the only place you will truly experience joy. Anything else that's self-serving, in the end, will be very empty and hollow. But there is nothing like joining God in his most grand and joyful enterprise of all history, of all eternity, and to work alongside him. Well, what does that work look like? Uh, what is God's work? Well, Jesus states it again. He states it several times through this passage. He says, this is my commandment. This is if you want to work, if you want to find joy in my work and joining me, this is what you've got to do. My command is that you love each other. That has been God's work from the beginning, to love us. Uh, he created a creation that expressed his love and goodness. He has throughout history been redeeming to show his love and goodness. He has been steadfast in keeping his promises, even when Israel was totally unfaithful. God was faithful because he keeps his word. Same thing true for us. God loves us. It is his work, his work of loving and redeeming us. And so if we are to join with God in his work and find joy in working alongside God, it's a simple matter of just loving people. No sweat, right? <laughs> No sweat. Just love people, and that's all there is to it. Now, at this point, if you're like me, you'll be thinking, okay, I can't love everybody. Okay, in this room, there's 250 people. I can't even love everybody in this room. I can't even remember their names. 
right? Much less love them. Uh, you know, sure, Jesus was God. He could die for the sins of the world. We can't do that. Well, it's important to note his words here. He says, he says love each other. He's not saying love everybody. I mean, we should love everybody, but we only need to concern ourselves with those people in our immediate circle of relationships. All right? It's interesting, even Jesus did not heal or save everyone. For example, when he healed the cripple at the Pool of Bethsaida, it was a pool where crippled and sick people hung out all the time. And when Jesus went there, he picked out one person and saved him, healed him. He ignored the rest. Uh, you don't have to love everybody all at once. Okay, It's humanly impossible. But Jesus told his disciples, start here in this room. There's 11 of you. Judas had left. There's 11 of you. Love each other. Start working at loving each other and serving each other and taking care of each other. Um, that's God's command. Um, and, and not only are we to love each other, but he says we're to love each other in the same way that Jesus has loved us. Um, now this is where it does get a little harder. Okay? God doesn't want us to love everybody. He wants us to love people he directs us to, people we have relationships with, people who cross our path. But he does want us to love them like Jesus loved them. Well, how did Jesus love people? Well, he said, he says it's simple. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Okay, that's what love is. Love is completely giving yourself away to others. Okay, there is joy in that. Uh, not in keeping things to myself, not in fighting for my rights, for my agenda, for what I want, in giving everything in your life away to other people. It says, greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Or you could also translate, for those he loves. For those he's loving. That's how we're to love each other. To sacrificially and completely give our life away. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, I have... Uh, poured out my life as a drink offering. He says, I've given everything. I have given everything for the call of the gospel to bring God's love and grace to the people I've met, the people who have come into my circle of relationship. Now here we have to admit that this is impossible. Uh, we can't of our own strength or will give everything away. It, it's too contrary to our core nature. But that's why it's a work of abiding. That's why it's so important that we understand what it is to abide in Christ as, as the branch with the vine. That we don't do this on our own. That Jesus actually fills us with his own life and loves people through us. Okay, if you go out from this room and decide, I want to be happy, so I'm just going to love people, and you get real fired up, and you start being nice to everybody, you know, it's not going to go very far if you're doing it in your own strength. Because what's going to happen is you're going to either uh, resent all those people that you're helping because they don't help you back and they don't pay you back and they don't maybe appreciate it and you resent them. Or you're just going to wear out. You're just going to get consumed. Something has got to be filling us from outside. And Jesus says, I want to fill you with my life. That's what abiding is. 
Daily drawing in His life, His power, His strength, His love. Uh, some people kind of think on this verse when Jesus says this is the command to love each other, that somehow He's ignoring loving God. Well, He's not, because He's already talked about all this in the whole context of abiding. In the whole context of abiding, it's abiding in this love, communion, intimate, close relationship with the Father and with the Son, where His life is being poured continually into us and through us. So we love as Jesus does. We give our lives up for others. Um, and we do it as God directs. He says, uh, you, are my friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, the most important thing of this all, two things, is one, that Christ's life fills us, and that we love people really with the love He's put in us, not our own strength. But secondly, uh, we love people as God directs. Okay, we don't go out on our own mission and our own agenda to just love people according to my plan and purpose. Uh, it's very important that, that we understand that our loving people is in obedience and in cooperation with God's purpose and plan. As I said, Jesus did not love everyone. I mean, he loved everyone, but he didn't show it specifically. He picked and chose people that he healed. He picked people that he taught. He picked people that he drew into his inner circle. In the same way, God will direct you in who and how you should love. Uh, But we must be ready and willing when God puts somebody in our heart to love that we do it all out. That we do it without limit or reservation. He says he lays down his life. In other words, there are no limits. You give all of yourself as God leads and directs to show his love for other people. There is joy in that. There is joy in that. Well, how do we know there's joy in that? Well, there's two ways you can know, and one is just to do it. <laughs> you know, one is just to practice it yourself. Um, but another way is to take the example or uh, follow somebody else's lead. And I thought at this point I need a really good story. I need a really good illustration. And I thought of several. But I thought the problem is nobody's going to really believe it, right? Because we don't really know the true depth of joy another person experiences. So how can we prove this point? How can I prove to you that totally giving up your whole life, giving up all your rights, giving yourself away to another person is going to make you happy? Because you know that just does not sound like happiness. The world just looks at that and thinks, I can't be happy. Give yourself a way that's totally opposite of everything we've been told brings joy. How can we know that's true? Well, we can know it's true because the God who exists for his own joy and pleasure, who planned all things for his own enjoyment, did exactly this. God gave himself to you and I completely. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this than that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And Jesus gave himself to us. He went to the cross giving himself to us. He came to earth and endured life as a human being giving himself to us. God the Father gave us his Son. In 
all that God created, there's only one thing that really costs God something. God can create anything. He can create universe after universe. It doesn't cost anything for God to give us stuff, right? If God gives you a million dollars, it doesn't cost him anything. Why he doesn't give us all a million dollars? Because it's not good for us, I'm thinking. Or he would. But he could do that at no cost to himself. The one thing that would cost him would be to give his own son. To give himself. The amazing thing is, God of the universe that created everything gave us himself. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. And we are really celebrating and remembering this incredible act of God giving himself to us. Laying down his life. He didn't give just a little bit. Jesus gave all of himself to you and I. That's the proof that there is joy in it. That's the proof for us that this works. That it is the path to true joy and fullness of life. It's what God did. Uh, Mind-boggling. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe and can you really accept the fact that God loved you so much that he gave his son, not just for the world generically, he didn't give it because he really loved the person next to you and you just get to kind of, you know, soak up the fringe benefits. That really God gave himself to you, personally to you, completely to you. Um, Jesus says that we serve him as friends. That we do this work of giving our life to others, but we don't do it as a slave. We don't obey as a slave. He says, I no longer call you slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything that the Father has told me. He has given us completely, given himself completely to us, and he has drawn us into this intimate circle of fellowship and counsel as a child and as a son and as a daughter. And he says, I, I am telling you everything that I know from the Father. Uh, you're not just slaves, but you serve, you work, you join in work with me as a co-worker, as a partner in the gospel, as a partner in my redeeming work. Um, and Jesus lays down his life for his friends. Out of his love for you and I, he gave himself to us. Uh, and it's important to, to remember, as we take communion, that Jesus didn't just do this once for all, and he's taking his life back now, and he's not available for us. Jesus was laying down his life for the disciples every day he was on earth. God was giving his son every day. And that didn't stop at the resurrection. God is still giving his son every day for you. That's the image of the vine and the branches. Every day, Jesus is giving his life to you. That's what it means to abide in him. That's what it means to be filled with him. Daily, moment by moment, continually, God is giving himself to you and I. And not just a little bit. This morning, we're actually having bread. And I really wanted bigger bread, but I had to do this. Because I thought, you know, we, we celebrate communion with crackers, which is just lame. 
And we get this idea, and I know it's kind of a logistical thing, and it, you know, I don't know. But I think, I think sometimes that's symbolic of how we think Jesus doles himself out. That Jesus has, has given us little tiny portions, and he gives himself to us in little tiny doses, and we're happy with that. We don't need all of Jesus, we just need a crumb, right? Well, granted, a crumb of Jesus is pretty good. However, that's not what he gives. Jesus said he lays down his whole life. He gives everything that he is and has to us in abundance and in fullness. He doesn't want us to have just a little tiny crumb of him. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of his presence. There is great joy in that. So this morning we got bigger chunks of bread. I'm hoping it's at least a couple bites full. You have a big mouth, you can just stuff it all at once. But I want you to think about this fact that God is giving you His Son in fullness. All of His being. Daily. How often do we need to take in and accept Jesus into our life? How long do we need to take in what He is giving? Every day. Moment by moment, day by day, He wants to give Himself to us. And He does that as we love and serve others. As we pour out our life and give our life away to others, God gives us His life. And we find joy in that. Around the world, there are testimonies and stories over and over and over of Christians and believers who suffer terrible things for the gospel and who literally give their life away physically as well as spiritually to God. And over and over again, the, the testimony of those believers is it was their great joy. All the way back in Acts, when the apostles were persecuted by the Pharisees, they came out saying, we counted such great joy that we were considered worthy of suffering for Jesus. The reality is, the only way we will ever be happy people is if we follow God's example and give ourselves away day by day. Loving people. Giving unselfishly our life away. And we do that as we fill ourselves with Christ. As we come to know and experience His presence. Um, He's given Himself to us for all eternity. Let's let's pray and just turn our hearts and minds towards uh, preparing to receive uh, the symbol of Jesus laying down His life of Him giving us Himself. Lord Jesus, I do pray that You would empower our hearts, our souls, our spirits to grasp and to believe with all our heart this incredible truth that the God of the universe has given us His Son. That we were lost in darkness and sin. Lord, we know in each of our lives, deep down, the depth of our own selfishness and pride and greed and anger our lust and our craving things for ourselves, And these things are, 
or a complete rejection of your love. They are at their very heart a, a statement that we don't believe in your goodness. And so we will grab and consume goodness for ourselves apart from you. And yet, Lord, you loved us. You never stopped loving us. And the only way you could save us from our own selfishness and sin was to give your Son. Was to send him to be one of us. Where even then we rejected him. We spit on him. We mocked him. We betrayed him. We denied we ever knew him. We turned our back on your love. And yet you kept on loving. You kept on giving every day. Until this very day, you keep giving yourself to us without reservation. Lord, as we turn our hearts to take communion, may it be in a very real and symbolic way a taking in of Jesus, a taking in of this wonderful gift of life and love, a taking in of your grace and your mercy the drinking in of the blood of life that cleanses and washes us from sin and fills us with the joy of salvation. Lord God, I just pray that you would meet with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'll uh, take communion this way. Um, We'll, we'll actually, if everybody can come down this aisle and go back up this aisle, it will be a little easier. And there's two tables. Uh, take the bread and the drink and go back to your seat. And uh, we're going to sing a song as we do this. It's a song of joy. Uh, celebrate God's joyful work together with Him. And then after we sing this song, just hold the elements and then we'll take them together after the song. <laughs>